good to be here this morning to consider God's Word with you. Um, we'll read now the, the text uh, for the sermon found in your bulletin, uh, but if you would like to turn in your Bibles also, that's Luke chapter 18, 9 through verses 14. Remind you that the Word of God is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word of God and is the only rule for faith and practice. And so let us hear it as such, Luke 18, beginning in chapter 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. And before we consider it together, uh, let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the hearing of his word this morning. Uh, Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you have been pleased to meet with us this morning, that you have condescended to us to gather with us as your people, to teach us and to feed us and to nourish us with your word. We pray, Father, that now as we consider your word, as we hear it preached, we pray and ask that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand and a heart to love your word as we hear it. So, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, uh, that we would respond to your word with praise and worship and obedience and gratitude for the great mercy and grace that you have shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant to us, O God, eyes to see and the faith that is necessary to behold the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and to be conformed one degree of glory to the next. And We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever gone somewhere and felt incredibly out of place, like you didn't belong in a particular situation. Uh, Perhaps you've moved out of the country or moved to a different part of the country and you've realized that, oh wow, maybe I don't fit in with these people in this different country. Uh, Perhaps maybe you're in high school and uh, you you, you feel like you don't really fit in with the the cliques or the groups of the people in in the high school. Or maybe uh, that time of year, maybe one time a year, you you feel like, you know, I want to dress up and I want to go to the fancy restaurant in town. And you, you walk into the fancy restaurant with your fancy clothes, but you know and they know that you're not a regular here and and you, you probably feel like you don't really even fit in in that situation. Perhaps I wonder if you've felt before like you've been in an environment where you have not fit in. And the question we want to ask today is not who fits into a particular country, who fits into a particular school, or even who fits into a particular fancy restaurant. The question that we want to ask today is who fits in the kingdom of God? Who belongs to the people of God? Who are those kinds of people that fit in with the people of God? Maybe you've thought to yourself, I don't really fit in with the people of God. 
I'm far too sinful. I've broken God's law far too many times. I don't really fit in with those people. They're way too good for me. I could never join those kinds of people because I'm just not good enough. Maybe you've thought that way before. Maybe on the other side of things, you've thought alternatively. Maybe you've looked at other people and you've said, they definitely don't fit in here. They're not good enough. If they want to join and fit in with the people of God, they'll have to clean their act up. They'll have to do a little bit better first before they can join this group. In the parable before us this morning, we have two individuals, two very different people with very different prayers flowing from very different hearts. In the eyes of the crowd, one of these men fits in with the people of God and the other one does not. But in the eyes of Jesus, one of these men will go home justified, and the other one will not. And so the question we want to ask and answer today is, which of these men belongs in the kingdom of God? Which of these men fits in with the kingdom of God? Which of these men has the prayer and character of those who belong to the people of God? Which one of these two men fits in with the people of God? And ultimately, the answer to that question depends on who you ask. If you were to ask the original audience, if you were to go around the the region of Galilee, if you were to go in and out of the temple, if you were to ask the Romans or the Greeks or the Jews, hey, which of these two types of people fit in? A, A righteous Pharisee or a penitent tax collector? Which of these kinds of people fit in with the kingdom of God? Undoubtedly, the people of the first century would have answered that question and said, the Pharisee is the one who fits in without a second thought. Pharisees were known as the experts in the law. They studied the law of God. They interpreted the law of God. They sought to apply the law of God not only to themselves, but also to the people of the land. They were revered and respected because of their work and occupation. The people looked up to them. The people honored them. The people sought them for advice. One author, Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said of the Pharisees, they have so great a power over the multitude that when they say anything against the king or the priest, they are presently believed. They have a powerful influence over the people. The people revered them. The people respected them. Now today, when we hear the word Pharisee, we, we, we tend to hear it as a, a negative, pejorative connotation. We use it as a criticism to spit at other people that we don't like. But in the first century, the Pharisees were honored, respected, and revered. And note this particular Pharisee. Verse 11, he describes himself as one who is not an extortioner, not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's not a tax collector. Which is another way of saying that he hasn't committed any egregious sins. He's a relatively good person. And also in verse 12, he fasts twice a week and he gives tithes of all that he gets. He's a self-controlled man, particularly over his appetite. And he's a very generous man. He gives all of his tithe. He ties on everything that he buys and he gives it to the temple. He's a generous man. In the eyes of the people, this man would have been the one who was justified. This is the man in the eyes of the people who fits in with the people of God. And contrast him with his alternative, the tax collector. 
Tax collectors were despised and despicable in the first century. If you were to put these two men next to each other and say, hey, which one fits in? Everyone would have said the Pharisee. I mean, look at tax collectors after all. They took your money. Nobody liked them in the first century. Nobody likes paying taxes today. It might make more sense for us to say, hey, who fits in more with the kingdom of God? A Pharisee or a Sadducee? That one I actually might take some time to think through. But a Pharisee and a tax collector, these men couldn't be more different. So anyone in the first century would have looked at this situation and said that the Pharisee is the one who fits in with the kingdom of God. Now what about today? What if we asked ourselves the same question? Hey, who, who fits in more with the people of God? You presented two types of people to them and said that on the one hand, we have somebody who's never really done anything bad, and he's positively done more than what's required of him. And on the other hand, we have somebody who admits that they're a sinner and asks for mercy. Which of these types of people fits in more with the people of God? Somebody who's never done anything evil or somebody that admits he's a sinner and asks for mercy? What would our churches say? What would our covenant children say to a question like that? I remember hearing a story of a prodigal son, a, a, a covenant child who was a prodigal, left home, rejected the faith, went and lived a rebellious lifestyle. Years later, he circled back around, came back to the church, repented of his sins, joined the church, and there was a couple at the back of the sanctuary who had been longtime members in the church, said to themselves, what is he doing here you see, what, what would we say if somebody asked us this question, who fits in with the people of God? Somebody who's never done anything wrong in their life or somebody who admits they're a sinner and admits that they need God's mercy? Well, it would be interesting to know what people would say in the first century. It would be interesting to know what people would say today to that question about who fits in. We're not here today to ask about what people thought in the first century or what people would think today. We're here to know what the Lord Jesus Christ said, what Jesus Christ says from his word. What does the Bible tell us about who fits in with the people of God? How does the Bible answer the question, who fits in the kingdom of God, a Pharisee or a tax collector? And so let's look first at the Pharisee beginning in verse 9. He told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The Pharisee, the very inception of this parable, we see that the, the, the very heart of this Pharisee, he's not merely a man who externally has done good things. He's not merely a man who's refrained from evil or sinful behavior and positively done more than what's required of him. He is fundamentally a man who has evil and self-righteous motives. Motives about himself, he exalts himself above other people and he treats others contemptuously. This Pharisee is not somebody who should be evaluated strictly by his external actions. The Pharisee ought to be evaluated by his heart. And we know that that's what God does. God does not evaluate us based on our external acts of obedience. He evaluates us based on the motive of the heart. So what is the heart of this Pharisee like? The heart of the Pharisee is a man who trusts in himself. 
and looks contemptuously on other people. We see the inside, we see the heart, and we see that all of his good deeds, all of his works of obedience, all of his refraining from sin flows from a heart of self-confidence and trust in himself. That is who the Pharisee is in his heart. The problem is not the actions. It's not that there's anything wrong with tithing. It's not that there's anything wrong with, with fasting. And it's commendable that this man has refrained from certain sins. But the problem with this man is his heart. He has an evil heart, a self-righteous heart, a heart that trusts in himself, that relies on himself, that does not need the mercy and grace of God. The problem is not the works that he performs, but the heart behind the works, that all of his works flow from a heart of pride and contempt of other people. And it comes out particularly in his prayer to God. Note how his prayer exudes self-promotion, self-justification, and self-sufficiency. Verse 11, God, I thank you, he says, that I'm not like other men. I tithe, I give, I, 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 I. All he can talk about is himself in his prayer. We don't get any sense of the Pharisee saying, God, I thank you that you have provided for me. I thank you that you have given to me. I thank you that you have provided a substitute for sin. None of that. The Pharisee can only talk about it himself in this prayer. He's consumed with himself. He's obsessed with himself. And he thanks God for the things that he has done for God. You begin to realize that this man really isn't thanking God for anything, is he? He's actually saying to God, you should be thankful for having somebody like me in your kingdom. Look at all the wonderful things that I've done for you. Isn't it extraordinary that I am somebody who should be included in your kingdom? I've done all of these things for you. I tithe more than anybody else. I fast twice a week. I'm not like any of these other sinful men. He promotes himself. He exalts himself. And this prayer fundamentally is a prayer of self-promotion to God. It's as though he's saying, God, aren't you so thankful that you have somebody like me in your kingdom? And look at how he promotes himself by lowering everyone else. He looks contemptuously on others and makes everyone else inferior to him. He's, he justifies himself in the eyes of God by comparing himself to everyone else. In verse 11, he thanks God that he's not like other men and especially the tax collector over there. He tells God that I'm better than the worst of the people in the world. And then he compares himself to the righteous. He compares himself to the law and says that the law requires that I, I, I fast only one time of year on the day of atonement. But God, I fast twice a week. Look at all the good that I'm able to do for you. The, the, the pride and the self-promotion and the arrogance flows out of this man's heart in his prayer. He promotes himself by lowering everyone else. And in the aftermath of this prayer, you realize that this man doesn't need God at all. He's totally self-sufficient. He asks nothing from God. No begs, no pleas, no petition for help, no confession of sin like we had this morning in the liturgy. Praise God for a confession of sin, but not in this man. He has no confession of sin. He asks for no intercessor, no mediator, no priest. He asks for no Christ. He has no need of a Christ because he's totally self-sufficient. He asks for nothing because he stands in need of nothing. It's as though he's taken God's test, graded himself, and given himself an A+. 
Reminded of the words of Tim Keller who said, if you lack the grace of God, all you need is need. All you need is need. Need is what you need to inherit the kingdom of God. And this man has no need. He has no idea how sinful he really is in the sight of God. And as we evaluate this Pharisee, we see that he represents the kind of individual who does not fit in with the people of God. In the first century, and maybe even in our own day, people would have said that the Pharisee was the kind of person who fit in with the kingdom of God. But what we see in this parable is, the ex- he, is that he is the exact opposite of those who fit in with the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us in this parable that this man did not go down to his house justified. Because he exalts himself, he promotes himself, he justifies himself. This man does not go down to his house justified because he trusts in himself and he has no need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Like this Pharisee who exalts himself before God. Look at me and all that I've been able to accomplish for your kingdom. Isn't it extraordinary that I fit in so well with the people of God because of all the good things that I've done for you? Jesus tells us that if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And in James, he tells us that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord, and pride goes before the fall. Here we have before us a man who is haughty, a man who is arrogant, a man who is prideful, a man who promotes himself to God. This is typical of who the Pharisees really were on the inside. On the outside, uh, they received the respect from the people. They prayed in front of the people. They, they, they walked around as though they were the people who really fit in with the people of God. But the Lord is the one who searches the hearts. And he knows that even now when he speaks this parable that he's speaking to men who trust in themselves and look contemptuously on other people. Just as was typical of the Pharisees throughout the whole ministry of Jesus. They would come to Jesus and say, why do you eat with, with, with sinners and tax collectors? You're defiling yourself. We don't belong with those kinds of people. They're over there. We're over here. We're the true people of God. They don't belong. Pharisees typically looked contemptuously on other people. They looked down on, Pharise- on tax collectors and sinners. Like the woman who was forgiven, who was eating with Jesus, who washed Jesus' feet, the Pharisees scowled at the, such an act that he would associate himself with tax collectors and sinners. They don't belong with the people of God. That's what the Pharisees thought. That's how they acted towards other people. And pride goes before the fall. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. These types of people, the Pharisee in this parable and the types of Pharisees who trust in themselves today, those kinds of people do not belong in the kingdom of God. They don't fit in. We typically think that those who fit in in the kingdom of God are those who have their act together and never do anything wrong. But here's a man who exalts himself, promotes himself, trusts in himself, and does not rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He has no needs. Those who exalt themselves, promote themselves, and stand before a holy God without any need for mercy do not belong in the kingdom of God. The people of God, if 
we could put it briefly, the people of God don't look like the Pharisee. Those who fit in in the kingdom of God are not like what we see with this Pharisee. Well, what do they look like? What does it look like to fit into the kingdom of God? If we we have a picture before us of what it doesn't look like, what does it look like to fit in the kingdom of God? Jesus gives us the example of the tax collector, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Those who belong in the kingdom of God are fundamentally those who confess that they are sinners and cry out to God for mercy. This tax collector knows that he's a sinner in God's sight. He knows that he justly deserves God's wrath and displeasure. He knows that he's broken God's law at every point. He knows that he's fallen short of the glory of God. He knows that he is a sinner in desperate need of the mercy of God and for God to spare his life. He knows he needs help. He knows he's in need. The man of this tax collector is a man who has need, who knows he needs a savior and cries out for mercy and for help. And this is true not only of the, of the tax collector here, but this is the true of the people of God throughout all times. The people of God has, have always been those who confess that they are sinners and call out for the mercy of God. Think of Peter for when he, he disbelieved Jesus and the casting out of the net over the boat and he fell at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Peter recognized that he was a sinner before a holy God and in need of a savior. Think of the prodigal son who said to himself, I have sinned against heaven and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Contrast him with the elder brother. This prodigal son knew that he needed a savior. He knew that he had sinned against a holy God. Think of Paul when he confessed that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full assurance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul knew he was a sinner before a holy God. Think of David's great prayer in Psalm 51. After he had committed murder and adultery, he prayed to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David was a man, even though he sinned, he was a man who cried out to God for mercy. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that he stood in the judgment of God and needed the mercy and grace of God to cleanse him of his sin. That is true of the people of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. That is always true of the people of God. Those who fit in with the people of God are those who confess their sins to God, who admit that they have fallen short of the glory of God, that they need a Savior. And this tax collector aligns himself with the people of God by crying out for mercy. And you see it in his posture and you hear it in his words. Notice his posture that he stands far off from the temple because he's too ashamed to go in. He beats his breast and hangs his head because his guilt brings him low. Like those in the old covenant in the time of Ezra, their their faces hung too low because of their guilt and their shame. So this tax collector, he beats his breast, he hangs his head low because he knows he's a guilty man. He knows that he's in need of the mercy and grace of God and he cries out for it. Notice his cry, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He asks for mercy. 
And the language is stronger than just mere mercy. It's stronger than just, oh God, have pity on me. He's actually praying that God would mercifully provide a propitiatory sacrifice for him. He stands outside of the temple because he has no sacrifice sufficient enough to cleanse him of his sin. And so he cries out that God would provide an atoning sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice to avert the wrath of God from his head. That is what propitiation means. It is a a sacrifice that averts the wrath of God. This tax collector fundamentally knows that he deserves the wrath of God. That the wrath of God is on his head and he prays and he cries out to God, provide a propitiation for me. Provide a substitute for me. Provide a sacrifice. Provide atonement that I may be cleansed, that I may be washed of my iniquity, that I may be purified of all of my sins. He cries out to God for mercy because he knows he stands in desperate need of mercy. He cries for a propitiation. And at that time of redemptive history, there was not a propitiatory sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ yet. Christ had not been sacrificed on the cross. Christ is that propitiatory sacrifice that Paul talks about in Romans 3. Christ has offered himself as the atoning sacrifice in order for there to be remission of sin, cleansing of sin, washing away of iniquity. This man cried out for it. He prayed for it and Jesus did come. He came to a cross. He died on a cross. He bore the wrath of God for sinners, for the elect, for those who trust in Christ so that they could be washed of their sin, so that they'd be cleansed of their iniquity, so that they could be washed of their pride and arrogance and sinfulness. This tax collector is a man who confesses his need, who admits that he's a sinner, cries out to God for a propitiatory sacrifice, who confesses his need to God. And what does Jesus say? How does Jesus respond when he sees both of these two men? When he sees the Pharisee and hears the Pharisee's prayer and he sees now the tax collector, how does Jesus respond to both of these men? The parable climaxes in verse 14 when Jesus declares that I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector is the man who fits in with the kingdom of God. The tax collector, the one who admits his sin, the one who confesses his iniquity, the one who tells God, I have broken your law and I'm in need of salvation and mercy and help. That is the kind of person that fits in with the kingdom of God. A man who confesses his sin. A man who pleads for the mercy of God. A man who asks that God would be merciful to him, that God would provide a sacrifice for his sins. And as we think about how all of this applies to us today, again, we ask ourselves, how would people answer the question, who fits in more with the kingdom of God? Someone who externally maybe has never done anything really that bad before, or somebody who confesses that they're a sinner and stand in need of a savior, What does it look like to belong to the kingdom of God? Perhaps you're a covenant child in here now and you think that you have to shape up before you can join the people of God. Perhaps you've been in the church a long time and it's easy to think that those who belong, those who fit in here, those that that are welcomed by God are those who really are good people. 
But what does the text say? What does Jesus say? What does the Bible tell us about who belongs to the kingdom of God and who fits in in the kingdom of God? Those who fit in in the kingdom of God, those who are righteous, those who are just, those who are acceptable in God's sight, those who belong to the kingdom of God are not like the Pharisee who parades his spiritual accolades, not just before men, but before God, parades his self-righteousness to God as the justification for someone who fits in with the kingdom of God. That is not what it looks like to fit in with the kingdom of God. Those who belong to the people of God, those who fit in with the kingdom of God, align themselves more with the tax collector than they do the Pharisee. The people of God from of old, from the times of Adam and Moses and Abraham and David and Daniel and so on and Peter and Paul and throughout the first century and second century and early church and medieval church and Reformation church, the people of God have always been those who confess their need for a Savior, who cry out to God for salvation. So who fits in with the kingdom of God? Who belongs with the people of God? Those who are righteous and have never maybe done anything bad or those who confess that they're sinners and plead for God to have mercy on them. Those who are righteous in God's sight are those who confess their need for a Savior. You may not fit in. You may not feel like you fit in. Those who confess their need for a Savior, who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, are those who fundamentally fit in with the people of God. Those are the true people who are bold enough to admit that they're sinners in the sight of a holy God. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our atoning and propitiatory sacrifice who has given his life for us, who has obeyed the law perfectly and entirely on our behalf, who has uh, been one who was born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law. Father, we thank you for the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ministry of your spirit who has regenerated our hearts and given us a need of salvation. Father, we pray that as the people of God gathered here today, we pray that we would be the kind of people that confess our need for you, that admit that we have fallen short of your glory and stand in desperate need of your mercy and grace. Father, we pray that you would help us to be humble people who rely not on our own works, but on the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.